Hey everyone, just before we get into this episode, just a quick announcement. We have some new stuff on our web shop. Uh, We've t-shirts, some cool posters, and some signed copies of Matt's book, Painted People. So it's beneaththeskinshop.com and the link is in the description of this episode. Anyway, back to the show. Um, Tom, uh, what have you been up to? Uh, was drinking pints with you last night. Um, my ceiling is collapsing in my room. Um, is your life, is your life collapsing? F- sometimes fucking feels like that, to be honest. Um, but other than that, uh, I'm all good. I'm all good. If you're listening to this as the time it goes out to the public, Whatever we haven't sold at Brighton is going to be online. So please, please buy it. I've spent so much money on fucking t-shirts and books <laughs> and posters. I go in there, please. I don't like being in debt. But uh, all that aside, I am in a great mood because this is an episode I've been really looking forward to for literally a year, nearly. Like we're kind of three months away from this happening a year ago. So I'm so excited and matt do you want to introduce our uh incredible guest that i have to say kiora too yeah we're so um lucky and happy to have um the amazing tayrangi to uh with us um who will we'll introduce himself in a second but um i first met uh or saw tay speaking at the royal academy like a long time ago now um and then bumped into him again uh, at the National Maritime Museum, and you know, I, I do hold a little bit of resentment for him because he he used to live in Colchester and then he moved away, left Essex, and it's gone to the sunny wilds of um, of, of Bristol. But um, he's a New Zealander, born and bred, and yeah, welcome, welcome to the show, Tay. Hey, kira, kira tato, ngamihi nunui ki a koto ki a korua kua. Kohara mai te kōrero i pāna ki tātou kōrero i, te, I roti tēnei rā, no reira tēnei, tēnei, tēnei tātou katoa. Um, so, big greetings to you too. Thank you for inviting us on, or me on. Um, so, my name is Te Rangitu Amohau Netana. I hail from the far north, far reaches of the North Island of, uh, of Aotearoa of New Zealand. Um, from uh, I'm, I'm descended from uh, three different tribes. Ngāpuhi, uh, Ngātiwai and Te Arawa. And yeah, I've been probably residing in the UK for about, I don't know, uh, nine years now. So uh, yeah, that's me. And, you, and you, you, told me, you told me you came here for love. I did. I know. I got snared. Not for, not for the weather. <laughs> it was a bit of a tag and release, to be honest. I first tattooed her in New Zealand <laughs> and then I let it go, I let it go, you know, see what happened. <laughs> And it came back, so it was like sweet. So it was a bit of a science study. <laughs> I have to say, you're in for everyone listening is in for an incredible episode because Tay is the only man or only person in general I've ever seen talk where Matt doesn't say anything for more than five minutes. <laughs> so this is going. This is going to be a good one. I I guess we should start off just by 
talk about you for a second, like how you got into tattooing and what your story is. And then, of course, we'd like to talk much more about the heritage and traditions of the practices that you you undertake and, and where they come from and where they are now. But maybe best place to start is like, tell us about yourself. Sure. I mean, I, I was born and bred in a little town called Kaikohekohe in the far north. Um, came from a pretty... Um, pretty staunch kind of Maori family, I guess. Um, uh, we were, uh, where, where we are was probably considered one of the most kind of poorest kind of areas, I guess, where Maori are and, and things in uh, the big farming community we used to have a lot of, a lot of things going for it. Of course, government things and stuff like that. They sold kind of our forestry, our railways closed down. There was a whole bunch of things. So there's a lot of joblessness, um, uh, and we kind of, you know, managed to kind of uh, really, it was through our traditional ways of growing and hunting and, and just kind of basically getting by and having a lot of family around. We we were rich in our own kind of ways, I guess. Um, we had a lot of privilege being Māori. And, uh, and of course, my, my, my father and my grandfather and, and grandmother, they were all native speakers. So we were rich in our language and rich in our kind of culture. Of course, uh, later on, we kind of moved to the cities because uh, because it was hard to live in the country. Um, and, of course, there was work in the cities and stuff. So we all moved kind of thing to the city. My dad got sick. Uh, I was probably around about, mm, I guess, in my when I was 17. I used to walk past the tattoo shop and used to kind of think about things when I was a kid and my grandparents used to talk about in the conversations that they used to talk about our old tattoo kind of tattooing kind of stories and mythologies and and of course we had a lot of at the time there was a lot of um a, a gang culture i guess and that, that had taken on tattooing and you know uh to be honest it was it was it was what it was for its time and um i was lucky enough to kind of then kind of hassle the hell out of a tattoo shop. Totally lied about my age. Um, that's, that's the classic story, right? No matter where you're from in the world, that's that's always the story. Yeah, so I I ended up uh, doing artwork for them to start off with, and then uh, coffees and cleaning up, and and eventually, um, actually, I think they kicked me out um, because I don't know someone was going through a bad one. I don't know, but they, they because I drew for people. Um, kind of custom work so uh, people would come in and ask for me so they they re-upped me and 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 I was in there but I kind of came with a bit of a, a plan you can I'll come back if if I can have an apprenticeship so I scored myself an apprenticeship not at the legal age but they didn't know um, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of legal stuff going on in that tattoo shop anyway so was that with Pakea guys or with other with Maori that, guys that was actually with a guy uh, that was with Parker, but the one of the guys, uh, who was that? It was um, Phil Matthias. He was a German Samoan, and uh, the rest of them were pretty much Parker kind of thing. They were all kind of around the bikey scene and all that kind of thing. Um, and it probably taught me what not to do uh, more than what it <laughs> taught me what to do, you know, kind of thing. So uh, it was definitely a classic experience of being in a, in a, in a tattoo shop. Uh, yeah, so um, where was I? Yeah, so it was working with it was working with kind of your conventional tattooist to start with. 
And did, did your family have tattoos? Um, was that something not, that your family? Not my general family, not my mother or father. It wasn't really. I had cousins and things like that that had had tattooing. But then also at the same time, I was also out, out searching for uh, people that were, that were really more towards Maori tattooing and, 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 and traditional tattooing. So I came across uh, Laurie Nicholas and Gordon Hatfield. They were star- They were carvers from uh, Rotorua, from Whakarewarewa. Um, Gordon was from up north and, and Laurie was from in Tiarawa, uh, which is kind of mid-North Island, uh, Rotorua, and ended up, uh, they were giving what we call wānanga. Wānanga is a teaching times. And they were talking about uh, the concept of bringing traditional tattooing back. Um, I mean, that was that was quite a kind of live conversation when you were growing up, right? About where Maori traditional tattooing was 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 going and and, and what its future could be. Like that was something that was sort of quite live when you were when you were starting out at that time, right? Absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of conversations that were being had about. I mean, there was a whole bunch that we needed to kind of. Also learn about the cleaning side of things, the sterilization. That was a major thing to learn about because uh, if 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 one of us did something wrong, all of us would get kind of uh, labelled for it, you know, kind of thing, and and it'd just be another thing. So we had to make sure we did things properly, uh, um, and and so that was with the machines and 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 things like, uh, and and tools like that. Uh, and you know, in New Zealand, we didn't really have the the kind of tools that you could get if you were from America or from Australia, you know, so a lot of the machines were homemade, you know, they, you made them yourself and they still worked. But, you know, of course, it was always about bettering your skills and stuff. Um, and, and and yeah, the, so there was a lot of kind of conversation really about how we wanted to approach uh, moko or, or bringing back our narratives and talking about how we wanted to kind of, uh, put, instead of using a tattoo sh- shop kind of concept of things, it was really like, so how do you, you know, the questions were like, how do we choose, you know, who has the right to wear, kind of what were these kind of markings for? And so it was right at the beginning of things. So we had to go around to different different areas and speak with elders and try to kind of piece together a lot of uh, the history and the, and, 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 the, and the protocols that we were looking at trying to put into place. I mean, I remember, you know, growing up in the UK and seeing the sort of start of, of, of people sort of really appropriating uh, Maori tattooing, like, appro- you know, people like famously in the UK, Robbie Williams getting something that was sort of very Pacific-esque, and there was a bigger conversation about you know, quote unquote, tribal tattooing in general, and it seems like, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, that was a you, know, you guys having to have that conversation or, or realizing that you had to have that conversation amongst yourselves, otherwise people were going to have it for you. Yeah. So, like, I mean, there was definitely discussions of uh, you know appropriation, and that there were tattooists out there doing things. You know, um, I remember I think Alex Binney came over one time and with Curly and they kind of hit a couple of walls um but we kind of actually Robbie Williams I tattooed Robbie Williams so that was quite interesting actually going oh, through amazing. That. oh good that's good I didn't that's good to know <laughs> so yeah that was back I mean when I was in Amsterdam and uh 
and he I was giving a talk in a Hanky Panky's uh, when Hanks Hank Jufmucker had the uh, museum, the first museum in 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 Amsterdam there. So I was working in the museum and and I didn't even know who Robbie Williams was to be honest. Nice guy though, really nice guy. Um, but um, you know, a lot of the time, uh, you know, Hank's shop was like famous people came in there and got tattooed. You know, you had I think there was some like might have been uh, the Chili Peppers, Steve Ray Vaughan, kind of. You had Booyah Tribe, and in you had the uh, we did kind of think we did Cypress Hill there, and so it was that kind of shop. You know, it was a really it was the shop to be in at the time. You know, and and it was really kind of uh, a push and shove, you know, it was, it was almost, uh, you know, you had to fight for your corner kind of thing, you know. And so, um, yeah, and anyway, meeting with Robbie and stuff like that, a lot of people even going back home when I returned uh, home after tattooing Robbie Williams, they didn't realise it was tattoo. I was It was a Maori person that had tattooed them. Um, and I remember being in a kitchen with my cousins and, uh and they were all talking about this Chinese guy that tattooed Robbie Williams, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh yeah, who's this guy? You know, like who's this Chinese guy?" And I don't know, man, it's not cool, bro. Now the Chinese guys are doing our tattoos, you know. And I'm sitting there going, "I knew it was me, but I wanted to milk it, kind of thing." So I was, <laughs> I was sitting there, and I was going, "Man, what, what, what should we do about it, man? Should we like find out where he lives and burn his house down? What what should we do?" And they're like, "Yeah, you know." And I'm like, and then my cousin comes in and goes, "Cousin comes and goes, what you fools talking about, you know?" And he's like, and they're like, um, "Oh, you know that Chinese guy that tattooed Robbie Williams," and he's like. Yeah, that's this fella here, man. He's no Chinaman. He's from up north. <laughs> and I was like, ah, damn, bro. I was trying to milk that, you know. And it was like at the end of the day, I was like, bro, hey, don't don't follow me home and burn my house down. It's not mine. I'm actually still living with my mum, so you know that's not. Really- <laughs> I mean that that um, but that that whole moment, like, really, I guess, sort of brought uh, the traditional practices. Um, or, or, or some modern sort of iteration of them, like really back into the the public spotlight, right? Like that was a. It felt like a real moment of time where uh, all of all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I felt a little bit that you know there was other you know like you had uh, Michael Frante from from Spearhead and stuff, and then you had kind of uh, Ben Harper, and they all they were they were all tattooed by you know Gordon and different different tattooists that I knew. Um, but it just so happened to be Robbie that everybody picked on. And, and so, you know, it was like, you know, a lot of people didn't know and, and there was a lot of discussion back home. In fact, I think it's, it, it's in a university paper that annoyingly, annoyingly, my sister reminds me that I'd never been to university, but she has to do a paper on her brother. And, um, <laughs> but it did pose that question. It did pose that question whether it was all right for non Maori to, to wear muko, you know, and um, and so a lot of the time it was it was it was it was great because you were right in the beginning of things and you were starting fires, and and seeing what what was going to come from it. And so I think from all of that um, testing and without even knowing it, you know, putting those things in the forefront and having those kind of discussions and those debates, they they've really moulded where muko is today. You know, so. 
Um, so it's been a great thing. I mean, it's good to, I think even in our culture, it's good to challenge, you know, the status quo and always test those kind of boundaries, see how far we can do it. We've always done that as, as, as a people. We've always tested our kind of rules and our, and that's how they evolve. It's not as if, and I think when people think of Māori as a, as, as a traditional people, well, we're not really kind of thing in as such. We've evolved so much kind of through time, which what well, we consider traditional is, was once contemporary. So, yeah, and um, I, I think that's that's such a like perfect point that I think people really forget. I mean, I, I, I heard this described once. You know, if you go to a big survey museum, British Museum, or, or uh, you know the Kaibon Lee in France or whatever, like any of these big so- surveys. Western culture, European culture gets a timeline and yeah. um, non-Western, non-European culture gets a place, right? So you've yeah. got 1800 to 1900 in Europe, but like then you have Asia right, <laughs> as a place. <laughs> and and, and through, through that colonialist lens, like non-Western culture gets to be sort of, you know, quite, as you said, like timeless, right? Where Time. somehow, yeah. somehow people forget that, or, or maybe not forget, but like kind of imagine that this is some ancient practice that is kind of you know folded in aspect like you know, it's got a huge heritage and a timeline and a historical depth but it also has these as you said it has these iterations it has these developments it has these changes oh yeah i think people, people forget that yeah and i suppose as well like for people who may be unfamiliar with maori moko can you maybe talk about like that timeline but also what is it in its importance to Mary culture, both contemporaneously, like right now and in the past? Okay, so so for us, Moko became, it, it, it developed over a period that, that, you know, there was times where there was bans on, on, on uh, there was the Tuhunga Suppression Act, uh, which kind of banned us from practicing any kind of tradition kind of thing, so that it was le- illegal to practice uh and and uh you know slowly systematically in in, in colonization they, they've been try they try to kind of uh cut out language and all sorts of stuff like that so we kind of and in the in the 90s we started looking at it as a as a form if we're bringing our language back we needed to bring everything back right so because it was all linked with each other and tamako was one of those uh one of those things that we could use as a medicine that we could uh, reconnect ourselves back to our original selves and, and our belief structures and all of that. And it was one of those kind of links that really it, it captures a narrative story about uh, lineage, uh, a whole bunch of things, your your connection to your uh, tayao. Your tayao is your environment, right? So, so it even goes into our environment, our mountains, our rivers, our our, our ancestors that first landed, how long they were there, that whole kind of, even though I guess they say we don't have a written language, in fact, I believe we probably got six ways of writing. So you have kind of carve, carving, weaving, dance. Uh, we have different types of expression. It's not phonetically kind of uh, done so much. I mean, it is now, but even even that's quite weird. The spellings come from somewhere in France and, and somewhere else. But anyway, so... Um, so, so if you kind of look at for us at the beginning of time, you know, if we look at our our religious kind of narratives of the god of tattooing, Ruo Moko. So Ruo Moko is the god of earthquake and volcano, and in his name, 
it says rue rue is when the the land uh, rumbles or, or the earthquake o is when the volcano erupts and you see the soot in the air uh moko is when the lava flows and scars the earth right and so when we tattooing it's the same kind of thing. It's a, the birthing. He's the youngest of one of, of our 72 gods. And, uh, and so when you're going through that process of kind of going from one level of understanding to another level of understanding and knowledge wise, we use moko to kind of talk of that birthing of the person. So when, when the, 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 the skin is shaking and then the blood erupts. And then we wipe the blood away, and we're left with the scar, kind of thing. And 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 that those patterns become somewhat like a complementary role um, between. They become a complementary role between the 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 wearer and their ancestry, kind of thing. So it's making it's reconnecting the person uh, to things that may have been broken and stuff. So we use that, and I can you know you can use that with every human really in this kind of planet really is to reconnect to who we are yeah and i i think it, it's super interesting like of obviously me knowing like irish history I, irish people not really having as much written language as uh the, the colonizer but it seems like the modern res- resurgence of moco seems not only as this kind of like oral history anthropological like study and connection to those who have come before but also feels like a very like distinct decolonial act as well it's the reclamation of like this is what was taken from us and like you said you six different ways of speaking no it doesn't matter words written down but this is the language that you communicate history and ideas and culture yeah absolutely and I, i guess it is that decolonization it is kind of you know, uh, making your environment native to you, you know, like making yourself, reintroducing yourself and being more native, you know. And- One of the things I'm really interested in is um, how, well, I guess you, you talked about like yourself, like not even having a lot of information initially to go on because, you know, that period, like prior to the, even the 1990s, there wasn't, you know, there was there was uh, the only way you could find out about this really from many credible sources was to talk to people. I mean, we had um, we had our friend uh, Maya Sialuk Jakobsen, um, who was also at that uh, Royal Academy event. Um, that I met you at. Um, I met her for the first time, and she said the same thing about about tattooing in the Arctic um, uh, uh, with Inuit because you know in her culture, uh, he, he, tattooing had had been really really eradicated in a way um, even more severely than than happened in um in new zealand and um yeah like she, yeah she's had to kind of rediscover all this stuff so, so i mean what w- what was it like for you as a as a kid who was getting into tattooing and realizing that y- you wanted and needed to know more about where these practices come, came from like how did you go about finding out was it just asking asking the right questions yeah that is knowing how to ask the questions there is a kind of protocol and a way of speaking to your your ancestors you just don't go walking up to them and go hey what about this you know there is actually you know you'll just possibly get you know ignored but um you know so there is a a way to enter the kind of into the house into the into the space or creating the space and creating a space a safe space for for our elders to to feel that uh, we are, you know, we we have great good intentions, right? 
because even even with possibly with the the gang kind of things that were going on, and I'm not no way against the gangs or what they did, because they 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 were they were a, a reaction to a part of colonization themselves, and so um, they had a place in our hist in that, and they take their place uh, in 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 our history as well. But but I think possibly some of our our elders. You know, they, they, they were watching, they were seeing things and they just closed down kind of thing. So you had to create a safe space, a place where, where they, they, they realized that the us young starts were, uh, we, we, we had good intentions kind of thing, you know, and, and, and so there was a lot of talking and there was a lot of debating. Um, and also I also went, uh, like when I first started, when I first saw, uh, Uhi or Ao, Work was uh, Samoan tattooist Paulo Suwape, and then we became good friends. That gave me a kind of opportunity to go to Samoa, and 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 see it in in you know unbroken kind of tradition, uh, and see how that worked there. And then from there to Hawaii, working with Keon and Nunes, and then and and being able to sit with him, and eventually being taught by him. And so um, you know, I I started going back. From 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 the root to the fruit type thing, so the fruit went to the root, and so and 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 to find out, you know, maybe where's the origins of these things? Because you can even follow our language through Polynesia and the development of its language. So then you can kind of follow the development of the tools yeah. as well. Maybe that's a good. Maybe that's a good to, into some of these kind of um, origin stories, origin mythologies um, about where tattooing comes from. Um, I, I love that story from um, uh, about the differences in in gender, gendering of tattooing between Fiji and Samoa. Where um, is it, am I right in saying that the story there is that the 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 the, the, the um, ancestral figures who were bringing tattooing from Fiji to Samoa or, or the other way around for, forgot which gender it was yeah. supposed to. Well, there were two sisters. There were two sisters. I'm not that. I'm not that kind of. Uh, uh, um, uh, I don't know the full kind of story, so I don't want to kind of. Uh, plagiarize myself or anything like that but uh yes they were two sisters they came from uh, a place fiji whether it was fiji or a place called fiji at the time because their islands also changed their names through time and stuff so there's more than one name for sometimes with islands and when you get different dialects you also get different changes of things but as we know as those two sisters as they were coming over some kind of thing went on before they got to Samoa and they dove deep into a into the water and came up and they were disorientated after I think they were speaking a chant and uh, basically to tattoo um, tattoo the women and then uh, when they came back it was changed to tattoo the men so the pea is a uh, is a bat is and and so it's 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 a little triangle that sits on the back piece of the of the in the spine and that's the pea or the bat and um and and like well the bat that they're talking about is the female bat right so it holds the bat uh babies holds in in the middle and they don't kind of put that baby down at all they always carry that baby and that baby represents their responsibility or their people and so when the matai or uh, uh chiefs uh have the honor to wear those things that represents they carry their people with them. so you know the and, and it's very kind of similar to us as well I mean, um, but, you know, so you start to hear those little narratives and those things and you're like, wow, this is, this is cool. Right. I was, I was, uh, you know, young and, 
and just learning so much from different Polynesian groups and stuff. So it was good. So I, I suppose kind of a question I want to ask about like the the modern role of Moko and community. Can you talk maybe a little bit about, you know, at the moment, there's obviously a lot of around the world people being more interested in traditional cultural arts. What is the feeling at the moment? Are more young people getting their Moko done or is it something that has kind of had a peak in couple of years ago and is now at a steady line or is it increasing oh it's absolutely increasing it's it's we have more and more young people wearing uh matoro wearing their traditional face their kowai the chin tattoo we have it's it's a huge resurgence back home um also it kind of marries and does well with the political scene as well because we're doing uh doing so well as a people I mean, of course, now we have a national government that's not so great, but um, you know, <laughs> you know, the thing is, yeah, we, we the thing is, and it's happening all over the world, isn't it? So, but the thing is, our people are strong. Our people are really uh, in 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 our languages, in our in our schools, in our TV, our radio. We're there. We're, we've got a good presence. Of course, we're also marrying with with uh, New Zealanders. And making beautiful children, and and we're all speaking our language. It's a, it's a wonderful place to be. Of course, we've got negativity. You know, people that 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 I don't know why. Uh, you know, I don't really bother with it either, kind of thing. But um, at the moment, Moko is is so strong. It's it's really empowering our people, and to to move back and to try to look at kind of. Like I said, going into things like our the way that we grow, our moon structures, our our watching the the month and what different months are doing through the stars, and bringing back that old language as well, and and just having the choice now that we can uh, that that we can kind of start growing and we can start doing things kind of using our old narratives, and then it's backed up with the tattooing. It's backed up with the language. It's backed up with a whole bunch of things. So it's just now giving, you know, through the treaty, I guess, between the British and 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 Maori, is giving, it's putting back in place what what the treaty said that we were supposed to be like, kind of thing. It was supposed to be an equal kind of uh, basis. And I think I think we're really affecting a lot of New Zealanders in a positive way, anyway. And you know, we make a lot of money for New Zealand as well. So no one comes. To see, no one comes to see the sheep, mate. So it's like, hey, and and listen, you make you make incredible rugby players. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> well, you know, we've got the islands as well, so you know, we're lucky to have yeah. uh, Fiji and and Samoa and all that as well. So uh, we can't put it down to kind of just New Zealanders. I think we. But um, I I think I want to ask, and maybe this is a bit more of a difficult question. A lot of people talk about the obviously the appropriateness of non-merry people wearing you know merry tattoos and moko and i've seen some people suggest of the kind of the development of this new style that is you know can be worn by the whiteies um and other people that isn't necessarily moko but you know it's you know it's 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 also it's always been all right for non-maori to wear moko certain moko mainly on the body not so much the face sometimes not so much the 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 legs if they're lucky and they have friends 
uh, and they can be whangaid into a family that they could be given kind of legs. But it does take, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the common understanding is uh, if you're not, if you're not Māori, you shouldn't be doing moho. But you, as a Māori, you can tattoo uh, non-Māori. Uh, only because that, unless that person is, is fluent in the language and the culture, he's not going to be able to kind of guide you in the right way. Mm, and that's something that I wanted to kind of dig into as well, is that like um, the importance of Moko to the Maori people isn't just it being a visual practice of tattooing. It is the community aspect of it as well. I was wondering, could you talk to me like right now, you know, say you, before we were recording, you are speaking about going back to New Zealand and you'll be tattooing family members. What is the role of Moko in the community and that process that makes it what it is? Right. Um, I guess, you know, there's, you know, an example of some of the things I do uh, back home, there's, there's a little bit more structure to it. Um, you know, uh, there's a situation where I had uh, triplet boys. Uh, they're amazing. Their mother's in the government at the moment. But anyways, they... They, um, they, the process first starts within the family, I guess, and uh, it's all different for everybody. Uh, but this particular family chose to do it this way, uh, and so uh, they wanted to show uh, respect to their parents, and 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 so they had a formal meeting where the the brother the the, the sons cooked for the parents and showed that they were ready to. To um to become you know adults and and take on a little bit more responsibility to show that kind of changing of the guard as well and um, to show their parents that you know this is this is how we want to kind of and they presented their case and then then it took the parents to then get in contact with me and then I ended up with something like I don't know maybe twenty people outside. <laughs> Uh, waiting to sit down with me and speak and and so I sat down with uh, the parents and the uncles and aunties uh, not really talking with the, the 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 boys you know it was really up to the elders and and them to discuss what they wanted to represent so they told me the story and then we we together as a family chose the patterns so taking into consideration their tribal ties um and 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 basically putting these protocols into into kind of process kind of thing, you know, not all of, not 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 every family does this. It, this is an old way of doing it, and this was a way that 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 this family wanted to approach it. But most times, it is really about your tribal connections and talking of your tribal connections. Sometimes, you know, you have uh, people that on, only want to be tattooed. I say me because I'm related to them because I come from the same tribe or the same family and so there's a huge responsibility that you have uh, that you hold on your shoulders that you end up possibly tattooing you know uh, fourth generation four generations from one family so you're, you're dealing with grandchildren you know so uh, and so you've tattooed grandparents and that's a huge kind of not only responsibility but an honor to even do and and you know i guess with our kind of people as well we you know we believe in our mana so our mana is our kind of honor our kind of uh, where we sit within a family where we sit within a tribe what we do and it's not that we boast of this 
this thing called mana. It's not even up to us to say it, but the people will say it, and 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 they'll they'll give you that kind of honor kind of thing. But you never go around boasting about it, you know. So so um so yeah, I don't know. Is that kind of answer the question? I don't know. I can ramble a little bit. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I suppose talking about that responsibility as the artist what goes into the design process then when you're creating this moko hey are you enjoying the show if you really like beneath the skin and you want to help support us you can do so on patreon for little as five quid a month you can help make this show possible help us buy research materials so if you like the show and you want to support us consider kicking us a few quid a month and you'll get everything from bonus episodes to Q&As, and you can even vote on what tattoo I'll get when we reach a certain subscriber count. Matt, have you got anything to say? You should really definitely uh, fund the Patreon because tattoo history is massive, right? Deep, wide, complicated. We're covering some big hit topics on the main feed, but on the Patreon subscriber-only feed, we'll be getting into some really more interesting niche, deep topics you don't want to miss out on. And honestly, the chance to kind of decide what Thomas gets on his body is probably just a once in a lifetime opportunity. Subscribe, chuck us a few quid. Don't miss out on the chance to ruin Thomas's body forever. I like to kind of, um, you know, I like to find out, I, I tried, if you break it into, in a simple form, maybe past, present, future, right? So your past is, is, is your foundations. And, you know, I find it difficult over here because people don't really know their foundations. So, so back home, it's a little bit easier because we people, we still know our kind of foundations, but foundations can also be about who has taught you. It could be a grandmother, it could be a grandfather, an uncle that stands out within your family. And so we'll kind of uh, talk about the things that they taught or they've been taught or, and so I'll kind of represent that, um, that person as as a teacher as a person that's passed on some kind of memory uh and it becomes a kind of narrative within the persons you know that they've been affected from how they were brought up how possibly the good and the bad that's happened within their life kind of thing and how do we kind of deal with that you know how do we kind of look at our 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 ourselves you know sometimes our gods have been uh, described sometimes as our emotions and uh and and that our gods sit within us uh, and so we kind of try to find those emotions and and you know it's one thing obviously to get tattooed it's another thing to kind of walk with it and to walk with it well kind of thing and to be able to kind of how do you put these things into practice and it really comes down to first understanding what that pattern is whenever i've kind of tried to figure out or tried to think about what my my ancestors were thinking it's always been a pattern that I'll learn about and uh and it'll really it takes me back and you start it's like reading a book you start to kind of almost um you can hear them talking to you in in your head you can hear the accent you can hear the 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 the, the what they're kind of trying to give you and portray to you so then I, I kind of because of that, I can kind of start to kind of manipulate and, and create with it, right? And so then you have your present, where you are now, where you sit in the middle uh, to understand your past and your future. 
and uh, and that could be the things that you may believe in now or your own belief structures, and those things always change. Uh, and then you've got your future, not that we can see our future, but we can understand our future from our past. We can certainly find a direction that's our kind of, you know, our our aspirations in life, all of those kind of things. So that's how I'll kind of compose simply over here. Um, you know, I've been honoured to kind of meet so many different kind of people over here in, in, in England uh, with so many different interesting stories uh, from Scotland to kind of Norway to whatever. And we sit down and we try to find the common thread as humans that we can work together and 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 try to so people can understand that all of us kind of had this kind of way of thinking right because we all came from one place and we all living on one place kind of thing so you know we you know it's the understanding of how our environment affects us and how we affect our environment and 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 knowing that if we change something on one side of the river it's going to affect the other side of the river so it really does matter that you, you know, we, we humans, we were connected in so many different ways. And so I guess that if that's, that's how I kind of compose, that's kind of the kind of craziness that goes on in my head when I'm sitting down and kind of thinking about a person. And, and sometimes you come across people that are just so, it really, uh, it, it takes you in a whole different direction. And that's really awesome. You know, it starts to push kind of my own boundaries of, I think with our own traditions as well, we we need to evolve them as well. But anyway, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think it's a really like beautiful art form that is beautiful both as art and you know as a connection to cultural heritage. What obviously the the process of doing moko in this kind of mode is. I feel like I'm right in saying it's a quite intense, it's a beautiful and intense practice. How does it feel for you when you're doing Moko on someone, either in your family or someone that you might not be related to and understanding the kind of weight of meaning of what you're doing? Yeah, because you, you feel like such a sort of intensely empathetic person, Tayan. Whenever I've heard you talk about your practice like it it feels like it it's 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 a very emotional thing for for the 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 people being tattooed but also for you for you doing it right like there's a, there's this big emotional empathetic component to this practice it, it it's definitely a way of life you know you have a responsibility to guide a person and things like that so i i certainly have to be right in my own mind and 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 if i don't if i you can get heavy with with kind of um things so i i have processes that i do that i've been taught to kind of cleanse myself of these things and and wash these things away kind of thing and and restart and reboot so there's foods and things that I'll you know I'll try to eat and stuff to get myself back to kind of the right place and things that I I definitely need to take care of myself and and be um, my father was was a peaceful kind of medicine kind of person as well so he kind of he he always said if you're not feeling well you don't do the work kind of thing you know and you make you make sure that you're you're one hundred percent because you don't want to give that on to not only um, myself if I come back in a heavy heavy way I can't be in the bed with my wife or or with my kids you know I have to go kind of wash myself and do certain things and then I'm I'm right I'll reboot and start again kind of thing so 
yeah, it does take on a lot of kind of you. Ha- I find I I'm pretty empathetic. I think a lot of my family are. Um, just um, you know, it, it it and 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 the intention, I guess, out of it is to to cr- try to create a, a positive person, a positive way of of thinking and and being. You know, a lot of my I don't call them customers, friends. Um, you know, they they become friends. You know, and then I say to them, you know, bro, if you need to call me, call me. You know, just let's have a chat, kind of thing. You know, because there's a lot of people that are going through some heavy stuff, and if I can even try uh, to to help to develop their own way of kind of uh, understanding something in a positive way, I'm I'm there. You know, I'm there for my nephews as well, and that's how we were brought up back home. Um, we have a lot of counselling kind of thing without even knowing it. You know, we had uncles and aunties and, and, and people that we could go see that were wise. And, and if we had any kind of problems, and it could be 3 o'clock in the morning, whenever you could turn up and you'd sit down and you could just nut things out, you know, and you'd always leave in a positive way. So we were lucky to have that as tribal people. Um, to, to have guides and to, to kind of be able to go look at nature and, 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 and feel our, our kind of presence there and things like that. So it, does, does that kind of, does that kind of emotional charge, is, is that emotional charge really heightened when you're, when you're tattooing on the face and you're actually t- tattooing Tamako on, on, on people's faces? Cause that, that, that feels, I mean, it's very, of course, in, in New Zealand history is a very political thing. You know, in general, getting one's face tattooed is a real, statement of identity no matter where you're from um uh, and as i understand it you know that 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 reclamation or or, or re re reviving if if that's even the right word of 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 facial tattooing has been a real important sort of part of this resurgence that you talked about and again i wonder i wonder if 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 there's something particular for you as an artist how that functions in, in in the in the kind of culture you know, we we always kind of sit on the ground. We don't uh, sit on stairs, uh, chairs, or or up high. Uh, how I was taught was always down on the ground. Uh, you know, down to the mat that you're kind of sitting on. Uh, you don't stand on that mat with shoes on. That becomes a, a sacred kind of uh, place. Uh, it, people don't normally stand behind the tattooist. That's the place for your ancestors. The ancestors will sit behind the. Um, behind the tattooist and they'll uh, view what's being done in, in front. So you're creating a kind of sacred space. I just, you know, a lot of Indigenous stuff is quite subtle. We don't tell anybody these things. Um, and uh, But we have these little things that we put in place that no one really notices, uh, things that, that might be a bowl of water somewhere or there'll be something there to keep it safe to, to do certain things. We don't have food around uh, the blood uh, because the blood is sacred and um, and so we don't bring food into those kind of areas or anything like that so we create that space so we also go into we, we go into a sacred space and we come out of a sacred space so there's also a way afterwards that people don't see that what we do afterwards and the way we wake our tools and put our tools to sleep and all of those kind of things so people don't really kind of see those uh, those things, those processes that we kind of practice, but um, yeah, and that's. I mean, that's as, as it should be, I guess. I mean, did you did you talk about tools? You you said you learned to to use um, ui from in Samoa, right? Like no, the, in was that was that was that in Hawaii yeah. from um, 
from Kai Nunez. Was that was that an interesting, difficult step for you to move from machines to to UI tools? Oh, it still is. I mean, it still is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, over here, I mean, it's my bread and butter is the machines, you know. So, so I mean, eventually, I really want to move and want to get to the space where I can drop the machines all together, and 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 just use the tools. But um, because they're slower, and because I'm, you know, I'm slow. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it, it takes time and 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 things and there's and more um, until my daughter decides to fully become my apprentice, uh, then then I'll have someone to help me all the time. But um, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, it's it. I mean, it was an amazing. It was pretty easy. I, I I've known Keone for twenty you know, odd years now, uh, and and we're we're good friends and uh, we share a couple of laughs in, in our history, but. Uh, we, you know, he has, he was taught by Paolo Suluape and Paolo was an amazing practitioner. Uh, and now when you see Keone, Keone is like the ultimate kind of student uh, after him because he's just taken it to another level and really made it, uh, you know, really made it. The tools are excellent. His tools are so amazing. The whole method of tool making right into the process of his, uh, you know, uh, I was lucky to witness graduation as well, a type of graduation going from levels of of, of, of practitioners. Um, and all of the boys that he's kind of taught, uh, some of the most amazing people I've ever met, you know, so they're steeped in their tradition. And, uh, you know, when actually Keone did my face, only because I wanted my face done with traditional tools. And there wasn't anybody that I knew of back home that actually knew how to do that. And so it was a collaboration between me and Keone and, you know, being tattooed underneath uh, Maui's grandmother's mountain in Hawaii and, and Waianae was a truly an amazing experience to uh, to hear the, the seabirds and the and the hot air and the fringipani in the air is just amazing. You know, it was like being taken back in time. Um, the tapping was like hearing the music that, you know, was almost saying to our, my, something inside of me and something outside of me, really, that we're still here. You know, we're still doing this kind of thing. And that was so empowering. To, to, to I mean that, that that tool development that you talk about actually is it goes back to something you said earlier on about this sort of development and, and creation and, and and bringing the traditions into the modern era, right? Because as you said, figuring out how to to work in 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 traditional quote unquote traditional ways in ways that that were connected to these images, but did make use of modern you know metal needles and modern hygiene techniques and these it's it's amazing and it's amazing that you and i didn't know that but that, that you and kina had these conversations to really figure out what was going to work like practically as well as kind of ethically and and yeah and culturally i think you know you know there's an argument of 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 why we use machines you know i'll, I'll go and i'll mention this is that uh, you know, some people say that you know our 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 ancestors weren't silly. You know, uh, as soon as something, <laughs> as, and as soon as something metal or, or or fantastic came along, you know, they of course they'd pick it up and use it. You know, they use metal chisels now instead of new uh, in, in in carving the carving of wood. But then Keone had a different kind of way of looking at it, and he said, "Why can't we develop the traditional tools?" 
in 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 it to create more modern things because if we kind of go back the origins of all of our all our prayers and our protocols come from the traditional tools everything that we use uh, within that making of the tool comes from our environment and we have a, a direct connect, connection to the uh, to the tool but with the machine it's it's metal i find the machine uh, you can tell it what to do. It's almost like a slave, you know. Whatever you want to do, you can do with it, you know. But with the hand tools, it's different. If if you if you're not right, if you don't do one, two, three, four, A, B, C right, things fall apart. And so, it, it, you know, you find that the tool will tell you what to do. And a lot of the times, the tool will move around the person's facial structure or body. In, in its own way and it'll it'll show you where to go you just need to kind of it'll guide you and you've got to trust in the tool and um and so that's a different way of thinking even the holding of the machine i'm right-handed so the machine's in my right hand but with the hand tools the tool is in my left hand and actually the hammer is the is is in my right hand so you know which one's guiding you know what i mean so it's all of that kind of it's an upside down world kind of thing and and then we start to realize how much of Western kind of thinking we've taken on. Um, that 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 if we really want to get back to 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 the origin, and then start to develop, what if we we were allowed to develop these things? Where could it go? You know. And so yeah. they, they have these amazing. We had these amazing debates and conversations about this kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it sounds sort of super humbling as well to think about the practice in that way, right? Where you're, as you said, the tool is kind of guiding you to some some degree, and the designs as you, to some degree. Although you have some conversation with it, you have some agency as well. I think it's a really, um, it's a really different way of thinking about the whole process of of, of tattooing and of making. I mean, making making art, making marks more generally, right? Where you're not it's not we we talked about this we talked to a copyright lawyer the other day um you know this idea of the individual artistic genius making something their own brain and nowhere else is a very recent and very sort of western european idea about how creativity and how art and how you know creative practice works and um it's really interesting talking to you to hear a, a different way of thinking about you know it, as you said it's entirely sort of almost almost entirely the other way up right yeah 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 I mean, it's it's definitely. I mean, with copyright or IP kind of stuff, with our things is like. I mean, I do contracts <laughs> outside of that with Hermes and with different, and you really have to kind of. Well, I don't own the, these patterns. These patterns, yeah, tribe. So I can't sell those. You know, I don't have a right to sell those. So, oh yeah, well, I was going to. I was going to say. I remember speaking to Maya about because I was trying to make sense, and I was reading a lot of kind of nineteenth century stuff about in, uh, Inuit tattooing and it didn't really make any sense you know and I, I, I Maya was so kind to, to sit down with me and, and help me understand and, and tell me what what those sources had missed and what I'd missed and one of the things she pointed out was that y Europeans had come to see the practices um, in, in her community and they'd only were they were only able to understand them within their own lens right Oh, you know, this this looks like ancestor worship, and and she was like, well, we, we, that's not what we do, but that you know, that's that's the that's the way a white Christian, you know, nineteenth century person understood the whole thing. And I think, um, I'm sure it, it must be the same for for the stuff that that you had to kind of unpick and and figure out, right, where you were trying to make sense of it 
where it was by by asking the right questions and already you know trying to figure out what even those ain't those those oldest european sources had gotten wrong by by figuring out what questions they were asking oh yeah definitely i mean there was some written there's some written work about i got somewhere about and it's a description of a Pākehā woman who was kind of kidnapped by Māori and and brought up by Māori, and uh, and they they had uh, they did her kauai, uh, and uh, and in this whole process there was there was someone describing from a distance, uh, you know, how they put the ink on the cloth and wiped it away, and which was really interesting because that's not how it works, right? It looks like from a distance. The ink is on was on the cloth and it was rubbed in, but it wasn't rubbed in, it was wiping away. And so just that little kind of thing within someone else, you could tell someone has written this from a distance, uh, and, and only taken in from uh from from what he could see. And and you get that a lot, kind of uh people people don't really ask the right question, like you said. Yeah, that's uh, so interesting. Um I mean, I guess maybe that is a good place to sort of ask you. When we saw you in um, in, in Greenwich, you you explained at beautiful length and in, in really vivid detail this uh, this real origin story of of, of tattooing, uh, moving through. Uh, you know, again, what a kind of Christian colonizer might have called the underworld and these kind of yeah. myth, myths. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you mind telling us that story? Because I think it's so, again, it's such an interesting, to hear you explain it again, really made it made sense in a way that I'd never really seen before in any other kind of, you know, colonialistic encounters trying to describe the same story. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess one of the origin stories is of Matora and Niwereka. So Matora was a young chief uh, in, I would say, probably mid in the east coast kind of area kind of thing of, of New Zealand um, and a particular ha- thing happens where they have uh, a visit from Tūrehu and Tūrehu were said to be kind of uh, of a fairy type origin um, and they were sometimes quite fair skinned uh, I, th- I think she had was said to have kind of uh, like a, a red hair or auburn hair type thing and so she was quite she stood out amongst kind of uh, her peers and amongst uh, the crowd coming on and and so because they were from Tūrehu they um, they didn't eat uh, they ate raw food or raw fish and so to kind of in a way he was a bit of a kind of you know I guess he's, he, he you could see this beautiful woman and 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 has to kind of show off a little bit of his prowess and he he he, he mentions how you know the fish that will be gathered will, will come from his fishing area where being a rangatira or being kind of of a chieftainly kind of line that they had their own personal areas that no one else was allowed to fish there and so um as time kind of goes on they in their stay I guess they kind of uh, they they kind of start to take a liking towards each other, and uh, eventually her people uh, decide you know it's time to return home, and she decides that she wants to stay and pursue this kind of relationship with Matora, and Matora, like I said, he was a young kind of um, young warrior, young kind of chief, 
And as she stayed with her people, because uh, she was, she had a, a, what we call like an a, like ahua is your your, uh, your ahua is like I don't even know how to say that in English, but ahua is like your what you not just what you look like, but what what you emulate kind of thing. You have just a nice way about because of the way she was quite peaceful. Uh, it, the people fell in love with her. And, uh, and maybe possibly he was a little bit jealous of this. Of course, he also, she also catches her brother's, his brother's eye. And, and, and there's an argument that ensues between him and his brother. And then, of course, uh, it goes towards, uh, towards, uh, Niwaireka. And, uh, the argument, uh, gets raised and, and he, he eventually strikes her. And from that, she she is also kind of of a rangatiro or high status. And, you know, she doesn't have to stand for that. So she decides to leave. And so she leaves and there's this whole kind of story of how he chases her uh, through different islands. He goes through the different islands to find her. And there's this, this whole kind of epic kind of journey goes on until he finally gets to this island and the island where uh, the entrance to a place called Rarohinga. Rarohinga is said to be the underworld or the spiritual realm. And, um, and, and so he kind of, uh, he, he comes across this, this Tuwatawata. Tuwatawata is like, uh, a guard, I guess, a, a, like customs, right? He's guard. He guards the kind of the entrance to to Watawata. And now we can even look at to Watawata as even our own mind, right? So it's going into into a different kind of place, kind of thing, into the spirit realm. And so, to he asks us to Watawata if he has seen this this young woman uh, come past, and uh, and so to Watawata asks him, well. Yeah, would you, you, uh, are you Matora? I've heard of you. Uh, yes, I have seen her. And what are your intentions? And I guess he said, well, my intentions are to you know, return her back to home. And so he said, well, she is home. And, uh, and so I don't know if you, your intentions are going to be, uh, going to be, you know, you're not, I don't know if you're going to be very successful because, um, in, 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 Rarohinga, we don't strike our women, and 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 so, but two Atawatawas are probably uh, a little bit curious as well to see what was going to happen. So he allowed him. Two Atawata was said to be tattooed from head to toe, and uh, and anyway, and this was the first time that even Matora had seen this kind of practice, and so he he went down into this into Rarohinga, and as he came down into Rarohinga, he he he. he he starts looking for the village, and I think he he finds a circle of men with one woman and and then a man laying down, and he can hear the tapping going, and he gets closer and he gets closer, and eventually he sees uh he sees Uitonga, which was uh, he didn't know, but the chief of the of the village as well as kind of uh the the the, the father of uh, Niwereka. And uh, in his arrogance, he kind of says, oh, why would you do this? And he can see the chisel cutting and the blood falling. Why would you do such a thing, you know? And um, and so oh, I've missed out a piece. But before he goes there, he realizes no one will speak to him because he's not 
um, he's not tattooed, he's not marked, and so he remembers the he remembers the markings on Tuatawata's face, and he he takes the charcoal and he and he paints this on his face. So that's that's why he can talk to them. So he's he's told, why would you do this? And so um, Tonga kind of turns to him and and smudges his face and says, well, unlike you, we don't paint. We don't paint our kind of uh, um, our 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 moko on. We 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 ink it kind of thing, you know, and 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 kind of embarrasses him. And of course, he goes further into the village, and he is accepted into this village to kind of have a. He wants to have a a, a talk with his his girlfriend, and uh, they allow him onto the marae. And as he's working, so I don't know if you understand what that means. So a marae is a is a long house, and their people, the the tangata whenua, the people of the tribe, will sit at the long house. And if you're a visitor, you will be you walk into the gate of of, and you wait until uh, a woman will paranga will call you on, and they'll start to uh, call you in in a way to to move forward. As you move forward, kind of thing. Uh, as he was moving forward onto the main ground of the of the long house, it rained. And, and it and it washed his his uh, muckle from his face, which further embarrassed him, and 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 even even more so. So, uh, he he retreats from this and then goes back to his uh, his his um, well to Uitonga to his father in law that he didn't know, uh, and and asks him to tattoo the place these patterns on his face, which. So what happens? And while he's being tattooed, he starts to lament uh, of uh, how um, uh, Niwereka means to him. And of course, he doesn't know that this is her father. And the woman sitting next to him, and in this whole kind of process, was her sister, his older sister. And so she overhears this lamenting. Of course, goes to see uh, Niwereka. Niwereka is in a in a state of wānanga, in a state of learning, uh, and she's learning about tāniko, which is a type of weaving hand weave that we do. And um, anyway, he she asks her sister, you know, who's this man? And the man kind of, uh, and so she replies, well, the man is 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 is, is matora. You know, we he, he's my man, and we had an argument, and he struck me, and and I'm back here, and so. Uh, and so uh, the older sister in her wisdom says, you know, in your time of kind of, um, in the time of his healing, you know, take him to my house and, and heal him in, in my house. And so also Niwareka becomes, she also knows of, um, she, she's, she's probably in a way the first nurse. <laughs> so she ends up being, because she knows of the medicine of the oils that come from certain plants. She knows of how to make kind of ointments and things like that. So she heals uh, uh, Mataora in, in the older sister's house. And in that time of caring and uh, and, and looking after him, uh, they, they decide that they love each other and that they want to be with each other. Um, so he, when he's healed, he decides, well, that's it. You know, I'm going to take, take my missus back home. And so he goes... He's, 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 he goes to try to take Mat, uh, Niwareka home. And, of course, the brothers uh, and the family uh, oppose him. 
and said, you know, what's to stop you from striking her uh, again when you when you go back home? What's to stop us, you know, this from happening again? So if you want to be with her, you need to stay here. And um, and of course, still a little bit arrogant in his way. He's like, no, no, I'm going, you know. And so he tries to leave. And the story goes that a tide daka, the fan tail, which is a tiny bird with a fan tail on the back of it, he stops uh, Mataora from leaving and and says to return in in a year's time because the upper world is in turmoil. There's war. There's there's turmoil happening. Uh, do not return and and return in the month of November in one year. And so, you know, that tells us a lot of things as well with that narrative, right? So one, you know, uh, a woman and a man can look after each other in the healing process. Uh, It tells us, um, you know, the month of November was important. Uh, It was probably the times that we didn't, we, we had seasons just like every other smart culture. We had seasons for war and we had seasons for growing and we had seasons for if we warred all the time, you wouldn't really live that long kind of thing. So, you know, so, y- you know, you had to structure everything like that. Um, so, and, and it also puts tattooing really at the center of, you know, belonging and family and reconciliation and reflection and honesty and mutual, as you said, mutual healing. Like it, it in that narrative, there's so many layers, as you said, about, you know the, the the kind of metaphoric and literal functions of that act of, of being tattooed and you, I mean, I, th- those details about you know the lamentation and the regret and the trust like all of that being kind of encoded and made Absolutely. visible Absolutely, all that, that trauma that kind of those kind of things definitely you know it's a, it tells us a lot of how how you know even you know in these story this story varies whoever tribe you talk to but and 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 things like that but the the main core of it is the kind of the aspirations of the people to to making sure that this you know someone is safe someone you know that space is safe everything you know so you can actually draw quite a bit from that kind of conversation and the way that we looked we weren't a literal type of people we were definitely a, a metaphorical type of people and um of course, if I said it in language and stuff, you you know, it's it's different as well. When you say it in Maori, the the whole meaning when you understand certain words, they come with a lineage that one word. So you can you know you can uh, bring together a whole bunch of meanings out of one word, right? So um, so it's not just our language being metaphoric and also quite poetic kind of thing. Uh, it has many layers with it that come with it kind of thing. so to understand the language is another is another kind of thing um and i, I, and I think i mean the the that also helps i think really to, to bring it back to the present day like it really shows why or how tattooing has been such an important part of, of as you said this amazing kind of cultural resurgence of maori communities in, in the last couple of decades because the tattooing thing is one of the practices of many, which right uh, seems to al- have have allowed Maori people in New Zealand and uh, to, to to actually, yeah, like I mean, literally become visible again in a really particular mm. way, right? And and, mm. and and I mean, what what's what's the current status? Are, are, are there are there many? Are there lots of people doing moko? Or are there still el- elders who are a bit kind of 
you know, suspicious of it. I mean, I no, remember- I think our people, our elders, are one hundred percent in support. And uh, no, I think uh, to be honest, it's going from strength to strength, and it's it's just so amazing to see we have uh, people you know back home that are now it's quite you know we wanted in the beginning i remember talking about we needed to make this a common thing we need to really bring it in 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 and 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 make it common like it's you see it every day you know and i remember when the first kind of uh uh you know the uproar when you had the first kind of uh tv kind of presentator with her hawaii or the you know, from not uproar, but you know, you had these negative peoples in in society. Yeah, you, and you had there's a, a member of a member of, uh, or there was a mem- member of government, right? Who had yeah. a Huawei. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we got a number of. Uh, I mean, the the head of the Maori the Maori Party, uh, and the government is full faced, as well as his partner, which is co co leader, and she has her Huawei done, and um, you know, even that, and saying that, you know, that that we have co leaders as Maori. You know, there's always a male and a female. And now you can look in our government is affected by that. There's not just, you don't just have one leader and there's always got to be a female leader kind of thing, you know. So that's that's how much Māoridom is starting to affect kind of our kind of way, our individual way as a country to try to kind of bring in more of our native way of being because it actually, you know, even though we were great warriors, we were great debaters and we're great at keeping the peace. And we realize that being on an island, you're not going to really live long or last long if you start warring each other. So, you know, we were orators and, and, you know, I mean, when you look at the kind of artworks or practices that came out of a people like that, they had a lot of time on their hands to do this, you know, so they had a lot <laughs> of time to, to make and yeah. build and create, you know, so it wasn't like a 24 hour kind of, kind of job or anything like that. We, 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 we had time to, really fine make fine work and things like that so you know wouldn't that be a an amazing place to get back to like you didn't have to work for survival kind of thing so yeah oh yeah i mean i think as you said we've we've all got a lot to we've all got a lot to learn as you were saying you know seasons for you know for taking time off of warring i sort of i think you know at this moment in time the whole world could learn something of that attitude right I mean, the objective is to get rid of war because it's a ridiculous thing. But yeah, 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 yeah for sure, absolutely. Um, so maybe, maybe like just as a last question, how have you found your life as a tattooer in in England? In your, you know, in this part of your career, where um, obviously you are a long way from home uh, in some senses, but you have a, a, an amazing, beautiful family, and you're you're tattooing in a really particular way uh, in, 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 in Bristol? Like, do you, do you find yourself, I mean, how does your, how does your practice look like day to day now? Are you, are you... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough being away from home, especially because I get so much nourishment from my people and, and learning. And it's frustrating to be away from home for so long and you see the learning and, and that's things going on and you try to, do things online and keep connected with home and keep your language up and all of those things. But it's tough. It's tough. I mean, you know, I, I really, you know, we homeschool our girls. And one of my girls is at um, TV and uh, film college and the other two are still homeschooling, but it's trying to kind of have a balance of um, 
you know, possibly we're not really into the educational system over here, but, you know, having our own kind of creating our own and uh, educational system within our house and, um, and meeting other people around England. That's great. But yeah, definitely miss home. Definitely can't do you, wait. Do, do, you, do your kids speak Toreo? Do you speak? No, nah, they ignore me all the time. I'll speak. <laughs> yeah, no, they just ignore me kind of thing. I think, you know, I'm taking my middle girl back home and I think she's going to see, and I hope, you know, we're going to walk our ancestor mountain, uh, go see my grandfather and, and my father's grave and maybe dip our toes in the sea and introduce her to actually where she comes from and, share some stories hopefully my sisters will take her somewhere as well and do some stuff for it with them so hopefully i'm gonna it's gonna be a great thing for her i think she you know finds they're very kind of native looking quite different and they stand out uh in in, in western kind of culture and i think that kind of affects them a little bit without them realizing it they don't quite fit in know and um yeah i think you know it's trying to kind of create really strong children aren't you so um yeah i mean one day we'll go back home but i also feel like there's something that i need to do here and a part of my work is trying to educate uh non-maori and making it easier for you do feel like an ambassador you feel like an ambassador somehow yeah you're sort of sure educating us all (laughs) For sure, for sure, because you know a lot of the a lot of people have you know they don't know about Maori or or Pacific Island kind of thing. So you know it's it there's there's a lot of things that are online that are, just aren't real. You know it's just all fake stuff. But I mean it it's nothing like I I would love to see more Maori art and practices here. I think we've got some amazing artists in New Zealand, whether it be painting clay or or whatever you know uh, we've got some amazing artists and uh, and it's it's you know like they had the tamari exhibition in the 80s and then they just recently had the kind of oceana kind of exhibition and stuff uh, but that's just a it's not even a a a drop in the sea to be honest it's uh, there's so much that I would love to see more artists from Polynesia and from New Zealand to come to to England and show people what we can do, you know, and I think we could help a lot of people as well and, and, and try to find, you know, I'd like to get to that space where, you know, we've been promised that there's the sacred, well, there's, there's going to be this table that we're all going to join and we'll be all equals, you know, and we start to realize, you know, after a few centuries that we're like, you know what, uh, there's no table. I don't think there's a table. We're, we're here. But, but no one else's, you know, and you're like, what's going on kind of thing, you know. So, you know, we've been working very alongside with First Nations of Canada and America, the Aboriginal from Australia, and, and you know, our people are really coming together as Indigenous peoples. But, you know, we also want the nations of Europe to, to be able to, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there want to kind of learn a little bit more and 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 find that place. Sometimes. Possibly they're not ready for it, or or we feel that maybe. But you know we need to create that, like I said, that sacred space that where we can uh, uh, introduce or bring people into this kind of into that space in a safe way, and 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 in a respectful way that we can talk 
and um and and hopefully uh, find find our similarities and differences to be something of beauty you know so yeah man yeah 100 and and as you said it's 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 not just about the the past as well it's also about the future and about it's about the future you know, continuing to build yeah amazing 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 wicked yeah but, uh, hey i want to thank you so much for coming on the show if anyone wants to get in contact with you be tattooed by you where can they find you where should they go okay so i mean instagram i guess i mean it's a hard name to kind of <laughs> spell but terangitu netana on you just have to put my name t-e-r-a-n-g-i-t-u in in any kind of search kind of engine and it'll pop up with some some dude with a funny thing on his face um and and but no i think you know i don't know i mean like if you want to find i think part of looking for it as well is going for it i like it that it's hard to find me i do yeah. <laughs> i really do i think man i can't find you so well that's not my thing you know you know it's part of the walk you gotta find me so <laughs> but yeah so <laughs> online you can find me and uh yeah um but yeah listen thanks so much for coming on the show it's been such an incredible conversation and also as always want to thank all of the listeners and the supporters specifically uh our patrons if you enjoyed this episode we do have a patreon where you can hear an episode like this weeks in advance um and you also can support the show and at the 10 quid tier uh, and above you get a shout out 15 pounds gets you a book but without further ado, I want to thank Stephen McCann, Roy Hoxham, Morpheus Ravenna, Chris Block, Charlie Lightning, Bob of Extra, Shit Jesus, Reed Forden, Lupe Calderon, Garnica, Kirsten Wright, Kathleen Burkhardt, James Schick, and Dylan. We're now getting to the point where I have to take a breath in the middle of that. Um, but <laughs> as always, you can find us on Instagram, Beneath Skin Pod. By the time this goes out publicly, episodes will also be on YouTube, um, so you can share them with your friends. But uh as always, I have been Tom. I have been Matt. Thank you um, as well for just putting up. With, I've, we've all had like audio issues and, and I've been had issues with my microphone and things. But, um, it's, and it's, always, it's always difficult having conversations uh, over these platforms, but it's just been, all, as always, such a pleasure. And I always learn something from you, uh, Tay. And, you know, you're a, I, 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 I love you very deeply, even though you've only met a few times. So. <laughs> Oh, it's so nice to you know be in, uh, finally kind of get me down and and we have a chat and stuff. <laughs> it, it's such it's such a joy to talk to you, and I hope I will see you see you in person soon. Yeah, for sure. You will. You guys look after yourself. Have a good uh, writing tattoo show and stuff. And um, yeah, nice. Cool. Thanks, man. Safe right. safe travels as well. Yeah, thank and you. Uh, bye bye from me. Bye. Bye.